Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Guy here. You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MRKT Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. What's happening, people? Wednesday. Now, I'm all screwed up because in the NHL playoff stand, as you know, it's typically every other day. You play Correct. on a Monday. Then if you have a day off, then you play on Wednesday. Well, the Rangers played on Monday and lost, as we discussed, on Monday or Tuesday, I should say. But today's Wednesday. They should be playing and not they're playing tomorrow, yeah. which is really messing me up. Yankees In have New it. Jersey. Yankees have a uh, gentleman special, as they say, a business person special today in Minnesota looking to salvage the third game of a three-game set. Yeah. But we got Sean Ryan with us. And we were talking to Sean before, by the way, lead financial analyst at FactSet. I told Sean what we did for Butters, and I'm telling you. Yeah, it's going to be big. We're going to do the same big. thing with it's Sean gonna, Ryan. And I big. messed up Sean Ryan with Sean Miller from Patriot Games earlier. I won't make that mistake yeah. twice. But this is, in fact, Market Call. Today is the 26th of April, 1 p.m. on the East Coast. Today's Market Call brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. They're also our data provider. Now, one would think, looking at the S&P 500 flat on the day, it's not a lot going on, Dan. Why yeah. even bother? And you guys should be watching the Yankee game. It's a quiet day. Horse hockey. Horse hockey, I say, because not only is it not a quiet day, we have earnings this afternoon we'll discuss. There is a lot going on here. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Yesterday we were talking about earnings. We were looking ahead at the Microsoft and the Alphabet earnings, but we were also putting pretty fine point on what we heard from UPS, what we saw from Whirlpool, what we saw from Cleveland Cliffs. And so I just think that's kind of really interesting. You know, we had somebody email us and we appreciate all of your commentary, people. So please keep it coming. I think it's at the uh, on the tape podcast at riskreversal.com. Yeah. I think that's kind of right. Or, or or just they can smoke signal too. No, or you can tweet a guy. I don't have a Twitter. Or send Rafe you know, an email. Yes. Send Rafe. Yeah. Amanda at riskreversal.com. Right. But somebody said to us, um, you know, is mega cap tech the new gold? which is kind of interesting wow. when you think about it, like the safety trade in a way. And to your point about the S&P 500, we have the second largest equity in the entire stock market, up 8.5% right now, okay? And the S&P 500, that's an index of 500 stocks, okay, is flat on the day. When you think about the weight of that stock and that index, right, I don't know. I think that's kind of interesting. And so the Nasdaq's only up what one and a quarter percent yeah. or so. Um, the RSP, if these guys could pull this one up, this is the equal eight uh, S and P five hundred. And you know this is kind of interesting. 
down on the day here. So mm -hmm. I guess what we were focused on yesterday as it relates to earnings, old economy sort of things, right? Maybe kind of more interesting inputs as to what the economy is maybe likely to do in the next not so distant future versus these companies like Microsoft that have massive moats, right? That have basically monopolies, huge market share, huge everything. You know what I'm saying, guys. So talk to me a little bit about that because today doesn't feel that great with the no. S&P flat. It should be, things should be better. Um, Google, the initial reaction to Google last night was the stock was higher. That's obviously not taking place. I thought the Microsoft quarter was fine. We talked about it on Fast Money last night, but it is still decelerating. Yeah. I mean, if you look, it so was, let me tell you something. I listened to that conference call, and, and let me tell they you, they said so, AI every other Satya word. Satya came out hot. I yeah. mean, he, he he and and even you know, like we say this a lot when you have you know a stock that's traded really well into its print, and it has traded really well. And we've also talked about a lot of the hype, right, in and around some of the things that have kind of caused this latest leg in the stock here. And you'd think that maybe. Just maybe they'd put save a little in the kitty here. Do, you know what I mean? Not coming come out, out so hot. Full bore. And they came out really hot. And I don't know. I mean, I don't see it as particularly bullish, I guess is what I'm trying to say. To see this stock up 8%, new 52-week high, and the S&P can barely get going. Gene Munster actually said exactly what you said in terms of he was sort of juxtaposing the two calls and saying how sort of, I don't know, I guess Google, he used the term moderate or sort of they tempered things yeah. down. And he said he'd never heard a Microsoft call like this before. Never. And my comment was, you know, and I said, you know, maybe they're trying to hide something. Then I backtracked because I don't think they're trying to hide anything. But I think they really see a deceleration in some of their core businesses. And they have to be excited about AI because when you're a $2 trillion company, yeah. you need things to move the needle. People are making a big deal out of this Activision thing. I've said all along. I mean, Activision is sort of a rounding error for Microsoft. Yeah, I'm sure they'd love to have it as part of their cloud so sort of suite of, of, of products, but it's not a game changer for Microsoft. Well, in any it's stretch. not now. If you think about when they made that bid for that company, it was what, over $70 billion or something. It was January of 2022. Mm -hmm. It was really before the, the bottom fell out, before it was very clear that we were in a bear market. We knew that a lot of the kind of like unprofitable, higher valuation tech names have been correcting for months at that point when they made that bid. And, and I think probably, you know, I don't know what the breakup fee is. I haven't taken a close look at it. They might be perfectly happy for this thing to go away, mm -hmm. especially when you think about the regulatory action that is going to come down on all of these large language models and all these AI tools that they've partnered with OpenAI now. Maybe they just don't need this kind of regulatory kind of back and forth because it's going to take a lot of wrangling here. And that takes me back to 25 years ago when the, you know, the FTC, they, they were all over uh, Microsoft for a lot of the practices that were deemed to be non-competitive. And, you know, when they were involved in all that activity with the feds, they kind of took their ball off. They kind of missed the internet, mm -hmm. you know, if you think about it. And then they missed a couple other things. They missed mobile too. So here they are firmly entrenched in, in cloud. Okay. They made this transition for the productivity tools and now they have this, you know, Azure and now they have open AI. They seem to be in a great spot yes, here. They are. So why screw around with the gaming? And the market is rewarding them in terms yeah. of valuation. Again, it wasn't a bad quarter. I mean, the numbers are staggering. But here's a stock that's probably trading now either side of 20 to 9 times next year's numbers. It's expensive. I think what the market is saying is there is safety in a company that has this kind of foresight one, visibility two, and sort of sticky base three. And they're, they are separating themselves from their rivals. And I think that's what you're seeing in terms of the stock. So... I will tell you, I got this one wrong. I mean, I thought the stock would bounce when we traded, you know, sort of that 225, 30 yeah. level. I never thought we'd get back to 300, yet here we are now. So decision time. There's a chart. 
We're reached levels, as you mentioned, back from the summer of last year. You know, we'll see if this it is stops where it here this is where it or this is uh, where it fails. Let's, let's and we have right. a pretty big volume day as well. But it is interesting to watch. And, you know, one of the things I said last night on Fast Money incorrectly again was at 292 at the time Microsoft was trading. I think Google was 107-ish. I said, here's your opportunity for a pair trade, long Google, short Microsoft. That's wrong, at least for the short term, that's wrong. But in terms of the broader market, again, and we're going to talk to Sean about financials, we're saving it. But I mean, you can't discount what's going on in banks. Yeah. And yesterday was a pretty horrendous day on the broader market. And now all of a sudden, everybody's had debt ceiling seems to be top of mind. I mean, a lot of not only CNBC shows, but other cable shows are now talking about it in, in a way that try to make it accessible for the public. But there's clearly some concern. We're going to get pushed up to, I think, the 11th hour. And Terry Duffy was on one of the shows this morning. By the way, CME had a great quarter. Um, talking about exactly that. You know, he thought it could get pushed to the 11th hour, and the market probably has not, I don't think the market has sort of priced that in. Yeah, let's just look at the macro here for a second. Let, let, let's look at this S&P chart one more time here because I'm going to roll through um, a few charts here. To me, you see where that resistance is, and I really feel like it's got a date with that 200-day moving average, mm. which probably lines up with that um, uptrend. And let me just tell you another thing is that if Microsoft is as good as it gets, and we're going to preview Meta, and we have Amazon tomorrow night, we have Apple next week, and don't forget that we also have that Fed meeting next week, and then we have the all-important April jobs report here. So if Microsoft is as good as it gets in earnings season, I think we come in after we get through this week. Look at this CBOE volatility index. That would be the VIX here. And we look at it at levels. It has not traded at since the start of 2022. That was when the S&P 500 was at 4,800. Here it is right now, just below 4,100. And the other one, last thing here, guy, this 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, you know, it's it's kind of contending with this three and a half level. Maybe psychologically that's an important um, sort of level, but that's not particularly bullish um, to me, okay, because if you are buying treasuries because you're in fear mm -hmm. of all this other stuff, that means rates are going down. So this is a bit of the fear trade, if you will. No question about it. You know, you're seeing – you're probably going to see a continued bounce in the dollar. We had a conversation about that yesterday, somewhat counterintuitive if this debt ceiling gets pushed off because, as I mentioned yesterday, you could see in it, you could see a scenario where the dollar rallies and then people say, holy shit, we shouldn't be buying the dollar here. Yeah. The dollar is vulnerable. I think that's going to play out a little bit. But the bond market, I think there will be a flight to quality in the form of bonds. And, as we've said with Danny Moses of the Big Short fame, who is our partner he on is, the On The Tape podcast, famous. which, by the way, drops in your favorite podcast stores. I love saying is that. Is your Stitcher? Every Friday. Where do you listen to your podcast stores? Stitcher? Yeah. I uh, get my, I don't, I'm not sure where I got no, I, I mean, it's I'll just, they come you. to I'll, me through the cloud. I'll show you. By the way, subscribe to our YouTube channel and smash the shit out of the like button. And oh, if you man. want to send an email, it's contact at risk reversal. Funny anecdotal story, and nobody cares. Well, wait, wait, so we'll be the judge of that. If it's funny, yes, we're sitting on a set of fast money years ago. Erin Burnett is hosting the show and I'm friends with Erin. I've known her a long time. And I looked at her in mid question. She was asking some you know, dopey question about something. And I stopped her. I said, what's your favorite movie of all time? And she was taken aback at sort of the abruptness and sort of it was a yeah. non sequitur. I don't know how to spell that. And she said contact, which stopped me in my tracks. It stopped. I mean, I'm a person that can sort of, I can go with the flow. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that can't, to say. Not, what nothing can you to say? say. Yeah. Nobody's favorite movie is Jody Contact. Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster's favorite movie is in Contact. No. Matt, nobody's. 
But that yet that was hers. Anyway, it's at contact at riskreversal.com. That was my funny story. If you don't think it's funny, make comments about it. I don't care. I mean, you make fun of me about everything else. I think you're going to get a lot of thumbs down yeah. um, in the in the chat there. I would say one thing. Um, I don't know if you saw this. I saw this in the FT this morning. So Stan Druckenmiller, he yes. was of Soros fame. Yeah. He runs Duck, uh, Druckenmiller Family or Is that what it's called? Druckenmiller I believe family it's a family office so, now. So here's a guy that they kind of – they, they they made a they made a run on the pound. You remember this uh, back they in 1992. Successful, successful. And so it was just interesting. Um, you know, he said this in the same light. Okay, he said, "I missed the trade in the dollar last year." He said it was one of his worst misses ever because he didn't want to buy Jay Powell and he didn't want to buy Biden. That was the quote mm -hmm. that I read. Okay, so now we've round tripped that whole move. We talked about the U.S. dollar index, the Dixie yesterday, and we just thought using the futures, using a stop. It seemed contrarian, and if you're going to have a flight to quality as it relates to treasuries, you might also have that in the U.S. dollar, except for it's the U.S. dollar might be the thing that's impacted by a default. That's right. So I get it. Okay, like I, like, I get it, but that's likely to be short-lived, all right? And so I just thought that was really interesting. He's betting against the U.S. dollar right here, and I just think in the near term, and you could say, who the hell am I versus Stan the man? I'm kind of Dan the man, or nah, nah, no, it's not going to stick. No. Um, I would just say I'll this. come up with something, it but just, it's not that. It just seems like it has the potential to bounce here yeah. at an important technical level. And maybe that's where you want to lay it out into this. If this thing gets dragged out, that sort of thing. So I just wanted to make that point because that was a headline I saw this morning. And I agree with that. And by the way, all roads seem to lead back to now. Bitcoin's having a day. Yeah, it is. It's up, what, 10% or something ish. ish. Yeah. Uh, but gold's been having a 8%. series of days. You know, gold is hanging in there and apparently. One of the more searched things out there on all the websites, yeah. which if you search, you type something in, yeah. is how do you, how do I buy gold? So now more and more people are starting to come around. Wait a second. The world is sort of appearingly going pear-shaped. Maybe they want to be in gold. And it's hanging in here. You know, typically if we make that new high, we have failed. Go back a couple. If you can extend this chart out, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. The last time we got up here it was a pretty precipitous drop-off. Yeah. Well, this time we're sort of hanging in there, folks. And I'm I'm here to tell you, as you, Louise Yamada of Yamada fame will say, the longer the base, the higher in outer space or something. So if we can base around these levels, I think it takes the next leg higher. And as I mentioned before, I think Danny Moses of the big short fame thinks thinks exactly the same. All right, let's do it. Uh, you, Is you, it time? You, yes. You, you, Is it you, that listen, time? You, you've laid down the gauntlet here, guy. You, you said that you're going to do for I'm Sean gonna, Ryan. I'm going to. For Sean Ryan, yeah. what you've done for Butters. And well, that would be say, John Butters of Earnings Insight yeah. fame. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. let's bring him in here. Yeah, He's the man, the myth, the legend. He's the financial sector lead yes. at FactSet. That sounds very military. Financial sector lead, like, you know, you're out there in front and you got, you know, yeah. you're just ready to, people are following you. You're like, you go over there, you take the right flank, and I'll stay right here in the middle and all the shit. By the way, how are you, Sean? Okay, thanks. How are you doing? We're doing great. By the way, I mean, if you think about it, financials, you know, historically, financials have been pretty boring. Let's just face it. I mean, somewhat utility. <laughs> well, other than that 08, 09 well, period. Okay. Historically. Okay. I mean, but when they when they come to the forefront, it's yeah. typically for some really weird reasons. And we're seeing it now. Everybody's seemingly talking about financials. So I know we have some charts and stuff, but let's look at it sort of at a 30,000 foot level. Things have gotten really interesting in your world. Yeah, no, you're 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 absolutely right. You know, uh, Harry Keefe, the the legendary bank analyst, uh, namesake of, of KBW, famously said the banks will always trade between hatred and apathy. Mm. And uh, so now we're at hatred. We're getting some attention. 
Yeah. So Sean, it's interesting. And to, to Guy's point, again, you know, these banks, they always trade at a discount to the market. You were an analyst for a very long time. Now you do a lot of work there, um, you know, compiling a, a lot of data sets from all over the industry as you think about, right? Like the industry um, is, is, as, a, as, a, um, as a vertical here. Um, you know, I got to tell you, like what we saw in March really did feel a lot like some of those kind of vibes that we had in 08 and 09. Now, I know a lot of folks were saying there's nothing really that systemic here. OK, and I think that the, and I'd love to hear a little bit about your thoughts about the speed in which the FDIC, the Treasury um, you know, just, you know, they were able to kind of corral some of the large money center banks as it relates to First Republic and just the extraordinary actions that they took, especially at a time where it looked like they were really focused, at least the Federal Reserve, on working down that balance sheet. And some people were not calling it quantitative easing, but for all intents and purposes, the Fed's balance sheet has increased, right, since the, the kind of lows in March, if you will. Put some context in what that March period was, because you're not suggesting that it's over. You're not suggesting that it's systemic, but you do think that there's going to be other palpitations that we feel in the not so distant future. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, of course, it's not 2008, but 2008 isn't the measure of all crises. Um, you know, there's some parallels with 1994 as well. Um, and, you know, the, the late 80s, too. Uh, I mean, the, from the highest level, you have to start with the fact that, you know, we had we're coming out of, you know, a 15 year period where the, the price of money has been near zero. And so, you know, the, the scale of the misallocation of capital when the price was at zero for such a long period of time is only starting to become evident. And, and so, you know, when we look at banks, we're seeing just the very beginning of credit quality deterioration. It's not bad yet. It's really just becoming less good. You know, and, and you get a lot of commentary that's sort of somewhat upbeat saying, hey, it's just mean reversion. And it is, except, you know, mean reversion doesn't usually stop at the mean. Um, there's going to be a lot of risk that manifest into actual losses here, pockets like commercial real estate, which is starting to get some attention, uh, autos, which probably isn't getting enough attention. Um, and so, you know, you've got those risks that are sort of slower moving. And then in March, you suddenly had this liquidity crisis erupt. And, you know, s some of those factors were, were well known, the, the unrealized uh, losses in health and maturity portfolios. Uh, but then at the same time, you know, certain others we really haven't had experience with in the past, like the, the massive outflow of uh, uninsured deposits. Uh, you know, if you go back to 1994, um, you know, the health maturity losses look a lot like what we have now, but you didn't have that cohort of mid cap growthy banks with huge shares of un uninsured deposits. And, uh, and that's what erupted in, in, in March. And so that settled down, um, you know, you no longer have um, the sort of rapid spike mm -hmm. in, in, banks being reliant on Fed liquidity, it's leveled off, but at a very high level. We're really only about 13% off the, the high right when uh, Silicon Valley failed. Um, and so that leaves banks in a vulnerable position. Um, you know, we've come through an earnings period where earnings were not bad, kind of mixed, uh, a lot of uh, downward revisions to guidance. But again, it's it's really, I think, um, anticipating sort of best case scenarios in terms of credit deterioration. You know, you're definitely going to see some more um, margin compression and, um, you know, credit. We just really haven't begun to grapple with that yet. And, and that's looming out there. So I, I think there's still a lot of risk here. Well, Sean, like the PLL, the Premier Lacrosse League or Professional Lacrosse League or whatever the P stands for, not all teams are created equal in that league and not all banks are created equal either. 
And you brought with you a slide to sort of illustrate exactly that, the bank crisis in remission, but not over. And there are different banks that have different exposures. And I think we're sort of seeing separating the wheat from the chaff. So as I said yesterday, sort of slide it, Earl, in terms of the in terms of the graph and, and slide you brought. And let's discuss this. Sure. So, uh, you know, what you really saw in, in terms of, you know, Moody's just downgraded a, a raft of banks, uh, you know, again. And, and if you look at that list of banks, it looks a lot like the list of banks people compiled in March when you looked at that sort of nexus of who's got outsized health to maturity losses and who has outsized uh, uninsured deposit uh, ratios. And um, and that's your your kind of real bullseye of vulnerability. And, and, and that's, the you know, really the list we're looking at here. Yeah. It's, so, so Sean, you know, when we think about this list here, and, and again, these names have become very familiar, I think, to um, a lot of investors who might not have even been focused on regional banks as like a, a, a class of, um, uh, of uh, stocks that they might invest in. OK, um, but all of a sudden we're seeing, you know, we saw SVB their equity go to zero. We saw that in Signature, right? And so we're seeing this right before our eyes, you know, with First Republic here. Talk to us a little bit about the risk of, of just kind of the equity base of some of these companies now that have to kind of lessen, I guess, the weight of their balance sheet here because it just seems like, you know, First Republic was flatlining after it got that $120 billion, right, of mm -hmm. – um, of, of deposits and was uh, for a short period, or was it 90 billion for 120 no, days? No, it was, it was 30 billion. It was 30 billion, 30 billion 11 yes. banks, yes. 120 right. days. And, and, right. and it wasn't until their earnings, right? And then, you know, obviously there were downgrades in there where I, I guess investors just realized that this equity is not going to be worth anything. Talk to us a little bit about that. And, and when you talk about the space being in remission or at least the crisis being in re remission, are we likely to see more equities kind of being wiped out for all intents and purposes. I don't think that we're going to see any of these go under and we're not going to likely have a, another run that is going to be deemed to be systemic because it just seems like the powers that be are going to backstop that. But equity valuations or equity in general seems to be the thing that's got a target on its back in the space. Right. I mean, in a way, I mean, First Republic, the risk factors there aren't unique. What's unique at, at First Republic and, and and at Silicon Valley and at Signature is that those risk factors are just all cranked up to 11 there, yeah. you know, in terms of the magnitude of the unrealized losses uh, and the vulnerability to liquidity problems with, with the, the uninsured deposits. And so, you know, those risks exist across the, the financial sector. Um, you know, banks have been bleeding deposits really since rates started rising a year ago. Um, but you, you just don't have those risk factors in the same uh, extreme levels uh, at most of these other banks. And so First Republic, the lone survivor of that cohort so far, um, is really kind of an outlier, I think, relative to those other banks where you're still going to have problems. You're still going to have uh, pressure on earnings, uh, and it still may be more than uh, is is built into to expectations so far. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think unless and until you start to see uh, – really credit problems start to manifest themselves, uh, you, you probably don't have that sort of, uh, you know, risk of, risk of something becoming a goose egg. Sean dropping some serious spinal tap yes, knowledge there. 11. Nigel <laughs> Tufnell. By the way, if you haven't seen This Is Spinal Tap, folks, I encourage you to go to your local Blockbuster this weekend and rent <laughs> that because it's – if you don't laugh at that, you're not a human being. But with that said, Sean, um, 
I've posited that interest rates could go back to zero, and that's not necessarily going to loosen credit conditions. Regulation is coming. Lending standards are, are going to be more vigilant, I think. I think banks will be more focused on things. And it's not about interest rates now. It's about, hey, wait a second. We got to sort of tighten the screws. And that's going to have ramifications. Am I off base there or am I on to something? No, I think you're exactly right. Um, you know, we're starting to see that in the weekly uh, Fed data where they, you know, come out every week with the aggregate balance sheet of, of all U.S. banks. Uh, you know, and you're starting to see that uh, 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 in terms of the aggregate loan totals. Uh, in about a week, we'll get this quarter's uh, SLUS. That's the uh, the Fed's uh, senior loan officer opinion survey. Now, that's a data set that has some predictive power historically, and that'll give us uh, a sense from those loan officers of uh the trends in both uh, the bank's willingness to extend loans uh, and customer demand for loans. And so it'll be interesting to see what that trend reveals. You know, this most recent survey, that survey went out to those loan officers uh, right after Silicon Valley failed. And so, you know, the, the, the events of March should be factored into to whatever the results of that survey are. We should see that in about a week. That'll be interesting. Uh, but I, you know, I suspect it's, it's, it's going to further validate your point there. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, listen, Sean Ryan, this was your uh, maiden voyage here on the market call here. You know, the Titanic had a maiden voyage. <laughs> this went a lot better than that. Didn't go particularly well. This went a lot better than that. Sean, we really appreciate you. We appreciate you coming on here. Um, hopefully you'll come back here um, once we maybe kind of get a wrap of this kind of Q1 sort of earnings season here. And we'll just kind of get a better read on some of those issues that you are flagging as it relates to um, credit on the other side of this liquidity event that we've had and we're still seeing this kind of wind down a couple people asking sean do you have a twitter account my sense is probably negative ghost rider the pattern is full am i accurate in that <laughs> uh I'll, I'll i'll have one set up by, by the next time i'm on i like that don't don't do it on our account but then people are asking where can they find your work obviously they can probably go to the facts at website but is there an easier way to sort of grasp that find uh, it uh, yeah, so if they can go to the, the FactSet Insights uh, website, and and it's all posted there, uh, or they can reach out to me at sean.ryan at factset.com, and uh, you know, we'll be happy to, to get them on the distribution. Enough. All right, so, so it's inset.factset.com is where you can find his work. So, Sean Ryan, thanks for joining us here. We really appreciate it, um, and we will see you again very soon. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. I think so, Sean Ryan. You know, here's something. Can we, I say we, something? I think. Am I, I allowed to say I that? I know, smart guy, and I like a guy who sits in front of his bookcase. There, he's not afraid. Well, I was going to ask kind of, him, yeah. but I didn't do it. Next time, I'm going to say, I'm, I'm going to say, Sean, I want you to do this. I want you to turn around and yeah. grab a book, any book, yeah. pull it out of the bookcase. Did you read it or not? You're asking. I'll, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to yeah. see if Swizzle's read. It. I'm speaking in the third person. Yeah, because as you know, I do read books from time not to time. Anymore. I mean, you're the sort of guy if if you sit down at nine o'clock. And you open a book, you're going to fall asleep. 9 p.m. 9 p.m. Yeah. You're going to fall asleep. No, at 9 p.m., unless it's a weird, like some yeah. sometime in February when not, yeah, you no, know, no, yeah. there are no sports. Before, yeah. I'm, wa I'm watching something. All right. Let, let's Nobody pull up cares, the, let's know, pull up the JP Morgan, the one-year chart here. And, not, and, not good. No. So I want to I want to mention this. This is really interesting. So we said the same thing that we just said about Microsoft. We said about JP Morgan when they reported. Remember that? It was right. April 14th. They reported that day. It was up 8%. And we're like, this might be as good as it gets for all the financial so look at the okay, levels so look at look at this thing let's see if i know pull because it i know exactly so, what it's so, gonna look like so can we look at a one year here people um we look at a, a one year and then we look at a shorter term one okay there you go all right but i want to see the gap i want to see that gap from earnings and so if it fills Jacob in knows. that gap okay Shit see knows. that 
And now let's let's blast this thing out here. Look at us just use the fact set charts here. That level where it gapped to on April 14th on the opening, that's a really important technical level here, people. I'm just saying that, okay? I feel the same way with Microsoft. That's why I feel pretty confident that this thing is not going to build a new range. This would be Microsoft now establishing it above those prior highs here. So again, um, you know, I think that this is pretty interesting. Keep an eye on JP Morgan. All right, guy, let's hit Facebook. This is going to be one wow. that I think is interesting. I'm terrified to even talk about. No, I, I why? Because Microsoft, I was so convinced yeah. that Microsoft would report whatever it does, conference call, stock would be down 10%. And the exact opposite happened. So yeah. now I'm going to go out on the proverbial limb again. But that's what we do here. So anyway, let's talk about it. All right. So the implied move in the options market is about 9% in either direction. Um, that's nearly $20, okay? And when you think about this and think about the move that it had, I mean, the stock at its lows, I think it was down like 77% from its all-time highs in late 2021. Traded as low as maybe $87.5. Here it is up at 211 here. You see that prior high that's come off, you know, a little bit, right? 221 down to 211. It's, you know, not, 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 nothing crazy. What, three, 4% or something like that here, um, given today's move. I don't know, man. I, I, I just listen. This is how I feel like a, a lot of these earnings events. Like, you don't really have to be a hero in front of them. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to pick, take a position. I felt very convicted in Tesla. Um, a week ago or a week and a half ago. And that's how I wanted to be positioned in that. That's been a position that I've been riding um, for a while. But I look at a meta and I look at how far it's come. And I look at that gap that we had back there in early February. We look at the reasons why they're continuing to cut costs here. What Google just said to us about ad spending didn't seem disastrous, guy. Okay, so digital ad spending mm -hmm. here. So maybe they're at a spot where if we pull this thing out and we want to go to five years here a little bit, um, is there room up to that gap? You know what I mean? From well, like last year, I maybe. think that's exactly right. I mean, that's what people but I are looking at. For it. That's what I'm saying. I, I wouldn't buy that right here. Except that what could potentially happen is, you know, you, you fill a gap and then subsequently create an end gap to the downside. Yeah. So that's what this is setting up for. You look at the moving averages is turned up. I mean, yes, the ad spend on the mic, it wasn't disastrous. Like Google ad spend suggested that things were not falling off a cliff. That should lend itself to some residual strength in Facebook. And despite the fact that Facebook's rallied 100%, valuation-wise, you can still make a compelling case. And they seem, you know, all the meta stuff, and that seems to be ancient history. Like, nobody talks about that anymore. And they seemingly did a bit of a mea culpa there. So maybe Facebook gets back to, in some ways, being Facebook and surprises people. And we see it fill in that gap. By the way... Somebody saying that I bet guy bought the first uh, iteration of the Prince, of course, book written by Machiavelli. That's very that's funny a, that in Florence. Is I mean, funny. Yeah. our people are crack me up. Anyway, that's what it's setting up for. But if you do see that move to two fifty eight or so, filling that gap, it's two fifty. I mean, like that gap is pretty fascinating because it was also a support level going back to early twenty one, late twenty twenty there, and it capped right there. And when it went to two fifty, I mean, it went to hundred, yeah. like like in months, you know, which is pretty shocking here. So listen, you know what? If they're able to continue down this path, right, of cost cutting, it seems like Zuckerberg has finally kind of stemmed. That just what was Stem a disaster. Yeah. Well, it was a disaster in two fronts, right? So the blue page, the main page, and then all that spending for the metaverse, all the overhiring that they did here. And it seems like they really got something going on with reels. Um, so I don't know. I just don't think it's that tradable guy, to be honest with you. I mean, like I think, I think it's tradable after the I mean, this is we're not trying 
after the fact, it's going to be very tradable. If you get that gap to the upside, I think you're looking you're looking for a huge move okay. then subsequently well, back down to fill gaps, which will be created. Okay, so l- let me give you a good example of why I don't think it's a great um, trade with an implied move of 9%. However, whether you're going to buy the stock, whether you're going to short the stock, whether you're going to buy calls, whether you're going to buy puts, whatever, whatever you're going to do. The best pro- trade is probably selling you know, a strangle if you're long the stock. Okay, that would be selling an out-of-the-money call, an out-of-the-money put, and just kind of taking in that premium. But I'm not suggesting that. Look at Google. It's basically flat on the day. Okay, so the implied move for the Google was 5%. Okay, so option premiums have gone squished. Yeah, okay. Theta bleed. If you were inclined to be long Google into the print, nothing that they said should keep you from running from the stock right here okay like in my opinion now nothing's all all, uh, you know causing you to go out and buy it i might wait another day let's see if it gets back to a hundred dollars and then maybe you do it and then the other thing is we had carter on and we're going to revisit this carter liked the idea of a pairs trade um short microsoft long google now right now at this moment if you liked what he had to say but you didn't do that trade this is actually the time to do that trade. I mean, for all intents and purposes. So, um, you know, I, again, I've lost so much money trying to pick a direction over my 25 years in the business because it's action. It seems real fun, right? Like when you get them right, it feels great. When you get them wrong, you're like, oh, that was kind of obvious. Sean Ryan, killing it. Yeah. Financial sector lead at FactSet. Thank you. He will be back yeah. without question because financials aren't going away. The stories around them. He was great. I obviously want to thank FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. Tomorrow, by the way, speaking of tomorrow, is Thursday. That's an EY from SoFi Day, and I guarantee some butter shit will drop that we will put in, and we just say butters, and everybody puts butters in the comments. That's what we're going to do for Sean Ryan, and that's it. Yeah. All right, that's great. So, Amanda, just for the YouTube and for the podcast (laughs) store, let's cut out that last bit here a little bit. But that was a lot of fun, guys. Thanks for joining us. Sorry about that. Hopefully you got a little insight into just guys' brain and how it works. doesn't work. All right, see you guys. Thanks.